This is The Dog and Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group. I'm Martin Lote, curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, you'll listen in to a conversation between two senior people at the sharp end of business change and transformation, with their permission, of course. Our two guests will chat and question each other as equals, exploring industry topics and stories from their careers. Hopefully, they'll dig up some tasty morsels for us to chew on. In this Dog and Bone special, recorded at the Cannes Lions, Darren Childs met up with Steve Ackerman. Darren is the CEO of multi-channel broadcaster UKTV, which has a close to 10% market share in the UK and operates channel brands including Dave, Gold and Drama. He's also on the advisory board of the Antenna Group, which has investments in Vice, Twitter, Spotify and Facebook. Steve is managing director of award-winning content agency Something Else. The company is the BBC's biggest multi-platform programme supplier, and it also works for brands, including Boots, Porsche and The Economist. Steve is a fellow of the Radio Academy. We listen in as the pair talk about how a local tone of voice is UK TV's secret weapon in combating global streaming platforms like Netflix and Amazon, why brands are not getting fully involved in TV show formats, the growth of audio content such as podcasts, and whether kids will eventually turn into their parents and sit down and watch TV in the living room. There's also a funny story in there about bribing police in India so that a Led Zeppelin concert could go ahead live on air. The pair start their conversation with Steve asking Darren why he's attending the Cannes Lion Festival. Hi Darren, how are you? Very well actually, very well. Well, we're in Cannes, so what's not to like? So. I know. So, what are you actually doing here? Tell, <laughs> tell me why you're here. I'm keeping it. I'm here for a couple of reasons actually. The main reason is uh, um, uh, we're doing a presentation tomorrow uh, on one of the stages uh, about Taskmaster, which, as you know, has been a big show for us over the last two or three years, uh, and it's building and getting bigger, and and we're doing some uh, great creative work. Um, around it in order to keep bringing in new audiences and we're just down here to talk about that I think the second thing I'm here to do is just kind of just to see where the competition's coming from because I think the thing I've noticed don't know about you but what I've noticed is kind of you know the money that's been spent down in Cannes Lions is, is all, seems to all be being spent by all the new players in town that, that wouldn't have been here five ten years ago new platforms uh, that really are trying to invest in, in our core business which is, which is TV That's really been the big transformation in Cannes over the past five or so years really hasn't it that that the Facebooks and Twitters and and you know all all these different areas that you see you know years and years ago this was just a hotbed for creatives really and and it's become such a a much broader event now yeah I think you know I I put it down to the fact that um, television as as a format is is still really really popular and really successful and I think people want to get into it and the television advertising business has been significant uh, uh, and material around the world for for the last fifty or sixty years, and of course, you know the digital platforms want to want to take a little piece of that as well. So, so it's a, you know keeping an eye on the on what the competitors are doing. I think it's an important part of coming to anything uh, like this because you can get to see what they're working on maybe a couple of two or three years ahead of before it actually hits the market. So I think there's a nice symmetry that we're in a place uh, that sort of celebrates brands because what really interests me about what you've done uh, in the TV landscape is obviously really create powerful brands in a way that I'm not sure many other broadcasters worldwide have really have really done. And you know, presumably, it's it's a strategy that's absolutely working for you. 
Yeah, look, we're having a we're having a touch wood, we're having a really good run. We are everything about UKTV. It's a challenger brand company, so you know we are we don't have public funding. We don't have uh, you know the kind of large revenue that some of our commercial competitors uh, have got. So every kind of inch of territory we've had to build. We've had to build it creatively, so you know we get we get more viewers by actually trying to be more creative and do things in a better way. And the brand piece for us was always critical in terms of helping customers find their route to what we did. And in fact, only recently did we start to introduce the UKTV brand back onto our channels, primarily because we were launching UKTV Play, which is our VOD service, which is which is a big part of our future and, and uh, right now the kind of fastest growing part of our business. So. Um, and we wanted to put an umbrella brand across that, which represented all the best of all of our channels. And, and how, how, how important do you think that portfolio of brands is, is in, you know, there's such a changing landscape going on now, and obviously this huge land grab coming from Netflix and, mm -hmm. and Apple, who haven't even launched their proposition yet, but are buying up huge content, um, you know, propositions. How much is that a future-proofing strategy as opposed to a play against the existing broadcasters in the current landscape? Yeah, look, I think the, the way the way I think about this is is fundamentally you, you read lots of things about about you know is television dead you know where why do young people not watch television but um, one of the things that we um, have been seeing is is actually that the the product the core product itself is not broken people fundamentally still love watching television and they watch lots of TV what's actually changed um, is the way that the, the technology is allowing that content to be more portable and more mobile and for the kind of uh, the reduction in power in that kind of traditional linear schedule so people you know in the same way that music kind of changed with spotify and apple music people wanted to pick what songs they wanted to watch and listen to them whenever they wanted to tv's just going through that same that same evolution and it's not just music and television i think a whole bunch of industries are going through it as well i think Technology per se is empowering at a customer level and you have to embrace that and you have to pivot your business in order to um, in order to accommodate how those customers are changing. And, and that's where UKTV Play is really important for us. And again, that's why it's the fastest growing part of our business. It's also the fastest growing part of the advertising business as well. I was looking at some numbers a couple of days ago. The AVOD business is, is growing up 40% this year, where the traditional linear television business is pretty much flat. So there is growth in television advertising. It's just in a different part of the value chain. So, you know, well, we want to make sure that we can embrace all that technology as well. Well, there's a nonsense to that myth about TV being dead, isn't there? I mean, uh, that's clearly been proven not to be the case particularly as you said because the revenues are yeah. are now coming into those other spaces i think the interesting thing about what what we see with audiences now and 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 where sort of so, social media comes into that is more and more you know curation and discoverability is becoming a a key thing yeah. how do you find the stuff that you want to watch and how as a broadcaster or a brand you reach the people you're trying to reach and that's where I think social has a key part to play in terms of building up that ongoing dialogue and relationship yeah. with an audience. And that's where it seems to me that some TV brands are still struggling to understand the opportunity that, that social affords them in that, in that space. And what's, what, what would be the pitch, I mean, for, for, the, for the kind of socially agnostic broadcasters? I mean, from your perspective, when you go in to see clients, you know, there's obviously some that get it and embrace it. There's obviously some that don't. Kind of, what are those conversations like? Well, I think that 
really at the heart of the conversation is that you have to be where the audience are and you have to be ha you have to put, be putting yourself in the middle of the audience's conversations you know the audience are talking about your shows or about things that interest you uh, as a broadcaster and you've got to put yourself at the heart of the of the conversation and obviously your biggest evangelist to the people who, who are the fans of your show I mean we all know anecdotally half the way we often discover the next show to watch is because a friend has told us yeah. they've said you know I'm, I really enjoy the show you should go and check it out yeah. social media is that times a million it's a very um tv's still a very sociable product isn't it I mean it used to be families sitting around the tv they talk about it you go to work the next day talk to your colleagues about it or you go to school now that's just happening sooner because people are doing it through social media platforms but they still want to talk about what they're watching on television and uh, they're just doing it in a slightly different way yeah I radically mean, different i mean tv obviously continues to be at the heart of the cultural conversation doesn't it i you know i think i think probably the only the one other thing we've seen rise up in in just the past few years that i think has a it's having a similar impact in terms of people talking about it to their friends is podcasts right you know really similar yeah. uh, obviously on a much much smaller scale um, and similar patterns of behaviour, obviously, because it's all about on demand, and I on suppose demand. that's yep. that's the challenge. I mean, you know, the other thing I'm sort of that I really like about what you've done the past few years is, if you looked back to, you know, UK TV many many years ago, I, I, I think the idea many people had of it was it was a sort of you know portfolio of repeats channels. Yeah. It was, it yeah. was. So that's the that was the whole premise of the business plan, you know, 15, 20 years ago when the business was first put together. So having now built standout shows like Taskmaster or the Dave Gorman shows, you know, shows that do get people talking about, I think is phenomenal because it, it is putting you right at the heart of that cultural conversation. Yeah, well look, it was a really simple decision for us. We kind of knew, we knew sort of back in 2010 that, that non-linear for what for what our core competency was non-linear would be a better product but if we still wanted to be able to drive ratings and get people's attention we had to give them something new and we spent a lot of time thinking about how we gave people something new but with a very different tone of voice to what else they could see so you know we had a we were very lucky we had a big breakout here with dynamo uh, back in 2011 and again you know not something you'd normally see on on terrestrial tv so immediately it sent that message to customers actually these guys are doing something slightly different i'd say i'd say podcasting is doing exactly the same you know they, they talk about the intellectual dark web that that uh, that kind of prevails through what's going on in, in podcasting but I listen to a ton of podcasts and it's stuff that you wouldn't get to hear on radio or, or television so so again we were trying to do something in along those lines of how can we do something which is a little bit different so we can add value because we knew if we just wanted to compete head to head with the big guys, they're just super funded in comparison to what we were. That we'd be uh, we'd be literally trying to throw a pebble into a pond to to make a wave, and it wouldn't really make an impact. So, so creativity became a really important part of what we did. And and again, it's one of the things we're down here to talk about. But uh, um, but how we went through that creative process, how we attracted talent how we got the first big stars to come and want to work with us. And now we, you know, we're very fortunate. We take it for granted that, that, that you know, top talent wants to come and work with UKTV. But 2010, that wasn't the case. We were literally, we were knocking on doors saying, hey, come and work with us. Um, and it was a it was a hard sell. It's always um, difficult, isn't it, when, when you're trying to get that those first talents to just to just give it a go That's or to right. try and discover your own stars. Yeah, and, 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 and we appealed to their creative sort of DNA, we kind of said to them, look, come and do something. In fact, the pitch was, 
uh, back in those early days. Make the show. We'll make the show with you that no one else is brave enough to make. Come on an intellectual and creative journey with us where you can really exercise your creative muscle as a piece of talent and we'll be your partner on it. And that's kind of how we started to really break through and, and it's continued along, along those lines and it's been very successful. It's, it's interesting that, 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 that the heart of your business model is, is creativity. Um, and actually, interestingly, you, you hear producers saying similar things about Netflix. So, you know, they'll chuck me a load of money, but I'm left, I'm, I'm left to get on with it. So, look, I've got to ask the question, <laughs> how terrified are you of the threat of the Netflixes and Amazons and, and Apples of this world? If you think about what's going on in, in digital and what's going on in the world, you can kind of, I broadly think about, you know, the, world, the world's changing. Technology's changing everything and everything that we do. And it's certainly changing how we, how we consume entertainment and content. And it's moving from this kind of local and linear world, which we all grew up in, which is, you know, local television on a linear schedule. And it's moving to a non-linear world and a global world. Okay, so so the great thing about the Netflix and Amazon model is that they are in a global marketplace. Okay, there's currently seven billion people on this planet. The last five billion have not even been connected to the Internet yet. And that will happen over the next five or six years. So you think about just the organic growth in their business models, just as more and more people come online. So, so they are going to get bigger and more successful, um, but they do something slightly different to us in terms of their tone of voice tends to be more global, slightly more American. Um, and our tone of voice has been very local uh, and very kind of very kind of UK. So for now, touch wood. Um, I think we can we can uh, uh, we we can kind of work side by side um, and both build successful businesses. But where the future takes us, you know, we're going to have to keep an eye on it. I suppose the interesting thing about it is the is the threat it puts on the ad model. That yeah. that obviously, if if audiences significantly tip over to a subscription model, yeah. then then obviously your currency is gone. Yeah. Well, I think people. I think it's changing, isn't it? I think people are. People are getting used now more than ever to watching content without ad breaks in. And, and what we need to be careful of as an industry is the ad break doesn't become a frustrating part of that TV experience. Um, so shortening ad breaks, you know, shortening the number of ad breaks, shortening the length of, that, of ad breaks, um, I think is something that is a discussion we all need to have. Uh, and I think as you see, as, you know, we've got a measurement issue as well. So we've lost a lot of TV customers to online um, platforms. So iPad is still not measured yet. iPhone still not measured yet. It makes up a significant part of what, how people watch TV. Now that's gonna change later this year. Dovetail will bring in uh, some of that lost audience uh, back into that measurement system. But we only think maybe 2%, 2 or 3% increase in total TV viewing. We still think there's 15 to 16% of people that are watching content on the big screen that is going to be lost forever. That is just unmeasurable because we, you can't track the source or the ways of tracking the source are too intrusive into people's lives. Um, you know, whether it's kind of monitoring their broadband feeds or whatever, that we just think people are just, it's probably just taking it a little bit too far. Um, so they're the challenges that we've 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 kind of got to face, um, and we and you know we need also the help of of what you guys do to actually keep that engagement level high. So I mean I'd be interested interested to know of all of those new platforms, which there seems to be a new one pop up every couple of years, and they seem to come and go, and and uh, um, you know which one do you think is the most you know 
powerful and impactful for, for a TV broadcaster to engage with. It's difficult to predict, isn't it? Because even even if you look just over the past few years, we've seen the sort of rise and fall of Snapchat mm. sort of you know disappearing away. We've seen Instagram obviously suddenly come to the fore um, in a way that it wasn't a few years ago. Facebook uh, struggling maybe with some younger audiences, mm-hmm. um, and you know I I am really fascinated about audio as well because we can definitely see a pattern of consumption of younger listeners I mean you know they're taking the same patterns of consumption of that need for on demand and applying it to the audio world yeah. and so that's that's also providing something that's quite interesting and and I suppose I suppose in the space that we're talking about today you know you kind of see that with some of the spin-offs that are happening you know Blue Planet having a, a very successful spin-off podcast and Love Island obviously number one at the moment with a successful spin-off podcast those just become the sort of ITV two shows of the audio world, so it's a it's a fascinating time. I suppose I suppose what I suppose what's really at the heart of it all is that um, audiences are platform agnostic, and so with us being the people who are delivering and creating content, we need to be too, yeah. and that means we've got to think in a really rounded way about the content that gets created, not just for linear broadcast or for or for that 60 minute tv show but how that can iterate in all its different ways across different platforms so that we're reaching audiences wherever they may be yeah and i think you know again going back a few years when i was kind of working on the music side of things I, one thing i remember from those days is that audiences also they're very quick to change as well they literally will move on a dime they'll be on one platform one minute and then literally they'll all move across to, to the next one I think one of the benefits of TV is it still seems to be quite robust and you know there's still a lot of loyalty to to some of those television brands and and uh, to some of the things that we do. You're listening to the Dog and Bone podcast from Propeller Group. If you're enjoying it, please share the link with your network. Subscribe on iTunes or your normal podcast provider. And if you're feeling really inspired, please write a review to help us zoom up the charts. Now, back to the conversation. You know, I do find it fascinating with my teenage daughter that um, she's not bothered about the big screen in the living room and the fact that that's a better picture and, and, and you know, I would say a nicer experience to lie on the sofa and watch this big screen. She wants instant access and, in a sense, privacy as well. So yeah. she'll sacrifice that for a smaller screen, an iPad or a phone, but have the immediacy rather than want to go to where the big screen is. And I... I've, I've got a nagging feeling that we still don't quite understand the generation that's coming and how they how they are consuming content and what that means for us as content creators. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And again, you know, again, we we we're tracking ratings uh, and where audiences are going on a kind of regular basis, and the data is pretty da- pretty damn clear. You know, 16 to 16 to 34 audiences to the main TV set has dropped by 40% in since 2010. So in seven years, you know, the introduction of portable viewing devices like iPads have just transformed where that demographic watches content. Very similar to you, you know, that portability privacy issue is much more important than, than being able to get control of the big TV set. The question is, will that change as, as they get older and it becomes their front room and their television rather than their parents? And uh, uh, and what we're seeing is that is slightly starting to move as people become into the, get their first homes and, and they kind of own that TV and they can get their streaming devices connected all up. So uh, we have a technology challenge in terms of how we get it, how we get our product to customers because all the, diff- all the different platforms you know, one of the huge complexities now in our business is is just the sheer number of different 
technology stacks that we have to support in order to deliver to Amazon, to Apple, because they're all different. And then the second big challenge is, you know, once we've worked, once we've worked the, the delivery technology piece out, which we've, we've spent the last two or three years doing, is then we've got a big monetization challenge, is how do we get paid for it? So if you're not in the subscription business like Netflix or Amazon, uh, uh, who are currently an SVOD provider, but rumored to be moving to an advertising format, which will be quite interesting. Uh, to see how that how that happens over the next couple of years, but then how do you get monetized? And I think the TV business can be criticized for being a little bit slow to change that monetization model. They know where the customers have gone, um, um, but the technology in terms of ad serving, dynamic ad insertion, targeted advertising, still feels a little bit clunky and a little bit a little bit 2010 rather than you know 2022, which is probably where it should be. I think it definitely does. I mean, I, I'm astonished that you can still go on a player and exactly that have, have that sort of slightly wonky experience where the you know sometimes the ad appears or it doesn't appear or it cuts out or it's you, you, yeah. you, you know it's it it, it it doesn't seem very developed. And and I suppose the other interesting thing is. Um, when you look at um, when you look at the marketing space and you look at the way brands are starting to get interested in content, um, if a brand was starting now, you'd say we're going to create our TV content and we're going to think of all the different ways we can monetize that. And there's very few TV shows you can point to that really do monetize themselves in the maximum capacity. And, and I suppose what I'm talking about is beyond just beyond just advertising and sponsorship. So the merchandise, the product placement, the live tour, the the books, the whatever else it might be. Um, you know, that feels for me like something that the big SVODs uh, are, are pulling off in a much more significant way. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Uh, and, and again, that's allowing them to fuel significant investments in content, which, you know, it's going to get to a point where Netflix will probably be spending more than most of the European free-to-air broadcasters combined. So we're at Cannes Lions, it's an advertising festival. We've all met um, a lot of people over the last couple of days. Um, anything interesting coming out in terms of where brands are thinking about their relationship with content? Anything new directionally that would be interested in sharing? Well, I suppose the interesting thing is a few years back, content was a really hot and slightly misused word, wasn't it? Everyone was banding it around. Every brand said they wanted to get into it. Every ad agency was... was creating their content team and I think at that time we thought where things were heading were that brands were going to invest significant amounts in TV formats and in creating shows that they led um, and that hasn't really happened um, and I suppose what we're seeing now over the past 18 months is brands are investing in content but it's much more just in the online space they want to have that direct relationship with the audience in fact what I find interesting in the in the sort of TV format spaces, it's not the brands who've gone into that space, but it's obviously some of the big agencies, you know, with motion content, which is obviously WPP and um, uh, with um, Story Lab. Um, you know, who who would have thought that an ad agency would would own Love Island as a as a format, or um, or that great cop show on the BBC? What's it called? Um, Line of Duty. Um, that that that's fascinating, but. What I thought would happen was that those formats or the, or the creation of formats like that would come from Cadbury's or Nike or, and that and that hasn't happened yet. And I still wonder if it might do as 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 the lines blur more and more, um, and as traditional advertising starts to you know to really come under stress, the need for brands to have that direct dialogue with an audience is is going to get tested more and more. I think. 
Yeah, it's, a, it's certainly interesting. When, when I talk to CEOs in, in non-media related businesses about what their big challenges are, one of their big challenges seems to be media. It seems to be they all want to be in media, whether they're selling clothes or shoes or you know, anything fashion related or FMCG related. They're all talking about how they can use media to engage better with, with, with audiences. Do you, are you hearing the same kind of thing? What, what we're hearing a lot is confusion. Um, and maybe, maybe we would have all expected it would have settled down by now. Uh, you know, I, what I found really exciting over, I suppose, the past 10 years now is that just when we think we're hitting a moment when it's settling down, the next wave of disruption comes or the next big questions. And obviously the past 12 months, we've had the big transparency issues going on, haven't we? Uh, which again, have sort of thrown up a whole bunch of questions. And, and this time it's not, it's not the broadcasters who are having to answer them, it's the online companies. So, so you're probably quite enjoying that position, I would imagine. <laughs> It's been interesting to watch, actually, because, again, I think a lot of that comes from, you know, we've been dealing with some of those problems for 30, 40, 50 years as an industry. You know, things like broadcast watersheds, um, you know, acceptable content at certain They're just part of what what we do as a, as a, a creative television company, and it's things that we think about. I think this is new for a lot of the new platforms, uh, and they've got things to learn uh, on that. I do think that they... It may be a controversial point of view, but they do have to take responsibility for, for those things if they want to be seen, if they want to play in the broadcast space. Um, well, we're still in a position, aren't we, where the legislators are stuck 20 years behind the reality of, of where we are. I suppose it goes back to the point we were saying about our daughters, which is it doesn't really matter where you're consuming the content. The content's the same. And so the legis legisl legislative framework should be the same as well. And so we see this sort of very strange position where you can have a, an Amazon or a Facebook creating what in effect is TV content but not under the same uh, requirements as you're under both from an advertising perspective and also an editorial one. Yeah and I think the big challenge is I think there's been more change in the last seven or eight years than there's been in the last 25 years in terms of how customers want to interact with content but also the legislative framework that kind of sits around it in terms of its ability to keep up and and how much do you I, I, you know i'm interested in uh, someone like facebook uh with facebook watch or youtube with what they're trying to do with original content they have huge huge war chests and yet this is sort of second or third time round for them in terms of trying to get it right in the case of creating video tv type content you're coming from the other end where you're a challenger brand um, you've you've you know you've you've gradually built the business, but by establishing very clear brands, are you surprised that other broadcasters or online uh, uh, online content creators haven't looked at your model and tried to replicate that in some way? Uh, I'm sure I'd be flattered if they'd looked at our at our model. I think look, it come when you look at the platforms, they are culturally technology driven, engineering driven. Um, uh, people and executives and, and processes. And you, you look at the content creation side of the business, the real kind of, the real intellectually creative side of the business. And they're culturally two worlds apart. And I think the, 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 the issue has been that you can't get them, say, you can't get the two to work under the same roof. And I think, I say bar Netflix, which has done an amazing job, but Netflix engineering departments in Silicon Valley and its content businesses in LA. So, you know, they even have a separation, a physical separation between, between um, uh, uh, those two businesses. Because I think culturally, they, the culture piece really matters 
in terms of what you're trying to drive outcomes from your organization are. So, you know, we see ourselves as a kind of highly creative, innovative, risk-taking business that understands how to entertain end, end customers, um, that is trying to learn as quickly as it can some of those engineering challenges about how we then deliver um, uh, that great um, that great content to them, and I think the technology companies are coming at from a different, from you know the same problem, but from from a different angle. Maybe in five or ten years' time, we'll meet in the middle. So, Steve, what's um, what's been that kind of big thing in your career that you can kind of put down as, as kind of one of your main inspirational points that you think's affected you more than anything else? So difficult, isn't it? When you, uh, you know, we've both got a few grey hairs, and um, you've got hair. So well, you know, yes, you know, yeah. Like <laughs> you, you've got hair, but not necessarily all the right places. So. <laughs> um, but I think, in terms of inspiration, I, I mean, it sounds a bit cheesy, but for me, one of the big things is actually just being inspired by the people around you. I, you know, I find you learn so much from the people around you all the time. So often, the, the big lessons I've learned definitely in terms of leadership and management have come from small comments that staff members have made to me about oh you should have done this or why didn't you do that or if you want me to get on with running this you should let yeah. just let me do it and you go of course of course that's right mm-hmm. well, what about you well it's interesting because some something i had a bit of a flashback when you asked for that question early on about kind of the the pivot into original content and, and all that kind of stuff and i was trying to think just when we were talking then kind of where did that spark come from and I've kind of I can actually trace it back now and I'm, I'm not I'm not going to name names to embarrass the extremely wealthy and successful uh, uh, person that was in the room but it was this 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 was a, a meeting early on in my career with someone incredibly senior uh, in our industry that is a, a household name um, and it was my first big pitch to him now he's a leading business guy top-end um, total kind of business mogul and I'd made the assumption that that because he was a business mogul he would be interested in the numbers and the strategy and I remember putting this deck together and it's something that stays with me right now is like this deck and I put all the financial stuff at the beginning and all the strategy stuff in the middle and then at the end there were like five or six pages about content and I remember handing this thing over really proud because I've spent ages working on the bloody thing handing it over and he put it on the desk it says when people printed things out on PowerPoint, on paper, rather than putting them up on screen. And I remember him just going flick, 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 flick. He went through all the numbers, flick, 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 kept flicking, turned it over to the content bit. And he said, right, talk to me about the content piece. And that was that. Always what it's about. Yeah. And that always, that story always reminds me about what we're in this business for, which is the content is the thing that matters. So what about embarrassing moments? Embarrassing moments. Embarrassing moments. Oh God, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of one. There's been so bloody many. Um... I remember actually a funny one was we were doing a big live show in India. This is this is quite a funny one. And back at the time, so we had we had a lot of big acts out there. We had Led Zeppelin out there, you know, who'd come and done a reunion. We had a couple of guys from Queen, Brian Adams, who's uh, um, John Bon Jovi was there, and someone had forgot to bribe all the police officials. So we were in the middle of a live broadcast when they whacked up all the house lights. So this thing's going out all across Southeast Asia, you know, 25, 30 million people watching it live. And the house lights went on. And then we all ran backstage, you know, cash changed hands between us and some local police and the lights went down. 
they went for a walk around the building and then half an hour later they came back and turned the lights on and so so literally through this live broadcast which is the first time we'd ever done it every half an hour the lights go on and they're on for exactly the amount of time we needed in order to actually give these guys a pile of money in order to go away for a walk for half an hour. So, so that was my first live broadcast and, and quite an embarrassing story. What about yourself? I think, uh, I think probably the most embarrassing moment. I, so I've always been a big Apple evangelist. I've always loved Apple yeah. kit. And from way back when our office was very, very Apple in the days when no one really used Apple. And really the probably the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me was we were invited to come in and pitch to Microsoft and obviously we thought we shouldn't use Apple computers because you know they won't like the fact it's not a good start it's not a good start with an <laughs> Apple logo there so I borrowed um, I borrowed my wife's uh, laptop which which was a, a Windows one had no idea really how it worked and halfway through the presentation we got locked out you know the, the computer locked lock, lock, locked us out I didn't know her password and um, Let's just say we didn't win that bit of business. <laughs> One business, piece of business to get away. I've got to say, on the whole, pitches by something else are normally a very good standard, but that one definitely, definitely was not the finest moment. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us on The Dog and Bone. As we leave Steve and Darren to carry on their conversation about media and content, I ask you to give our other Dog and Bone podcasts a spin. You can find them on iTunes, SoundCloud, Acast and other platforms. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to The Dog and Bone.